You're listening to Art of the Float. Hey guys, this is Dylan. We are taking a little bit of a break this week. And don't worry, we're not going to leave you hanging. We have some awesome content for you here. Uh, Brian, producer Brian and I have gotten back from Rise. We are recovering from all the information, from opening our hearts the way we have, and from partying possibly too much. We had a really good time (laughs) in St. Louis. And uh, of course, Amy is super busy opening her second center float alchemy. We know they've had setback after setback. So we're giving them a little bit of a a chance to focus on that. In the meantime, we are going to share our roundtable discussion that we had. It was quite a bit of fun, really cool. Uh, I thought we were going to cover a bunch of different topics. And as it turns out, there was just so much to cover on simply how to give intros and different opinions on intros. So know that this is a live recording. Uh, I did some very minor edits on when uh, the microphone was being handed to somebody or um, you know, a couple volume changes, but for the most part, just know that uh, you might need to turn the volume up or down a couple times, but I think it will be fine. Uh, also, I do want to just take a moment here to thank our sponsors. I'll just um, give them shout outs at the top of the episode here. First, of course, is Float Helm. Float Helm is the software designed for float centers by float center owners. Uh, go to floathelm.com if you want to check out the software, which is not only for scheduling your float tanks, acupuncture, saunas, all the different things that come along with uh, float tanks themselves, but also for uh, using as a a logbook, being able to talk with other employees throughout the day and throughout the week, and also for project management, for tracking your uh, pH, alkalinity, all that good stuff. Floathelm.com, again, is where you want to go and schedule your tour. They can walk you through everything and make sure that Floathelm is the right fit for you. I also want to thank FloatAway. FloatAway makes the float around, the Serenity, uh, gosh, Tranquility. They have a bunch of different float tanks, all, all different sizes and makes and models to fit your float center. Uh, floataway.com is where you want to go to check them out. And of course, as I always say, you're buying into a relationship when you buy a float tank. So, um, know the people that you're getting in a relationship with. Uh, you're going to be in a relationship for years. And Ginny and Colin, the owners of FloatAway are incredible people. They're incredibly helpful. I've mentioned before that they were helping me out for years before we ever gave them a red cent. And uh, they were helping us uh, with our used float tank, with our tranquility. And they'd even help us out with our other float tanks as well. And uh, they were always so available. So uh, again, go to floataway.com and just say hello. All right, I'm going to go ahead and hand it over to Kevin McCulloch here. Uh, thanks again, Kevin, so much for hosting Rise. And here we go. We are going to roll into a thing called the Art of the Float Forum Roundtable Discussion. I probably messed that up. Art of the Float Roundtable Discussion uh, with Dilla. Dilla. I just ate. I got blood sugar going all over the place. Dylan, Kim, and Jeremy. Uh, They're going to facilitate a discussion amongst the group here. We thought that would be really fun, and it's something that they uh, excel at. Um, Is everyone here familiar with Art of the Float podcast? Yeah? All right. So maybe not much of an introduction needed, but, um, you know, it's a a great place to uh, listen to uh, discussions and gather information, um, and uh, it's also a a helpful place to... uh, 
experience debate, right, and different topics. And something we want to continue to develop in this experience that um, we, we found ourselves in last year was some healthy debate, even though it was unplanned and unstructured. Um, and so our goal is to continue to find ways to structure and, and plan that debate in healthy ways. Um, so this is one of those efforts, and we appreciate you, uh, you know, providing us with that experience. So uh, with that, we'll have you all come up, and we can begin the conversation. Thank you. I think you might want to grab that microphone. I'm Dilla. I own the... <laughs> I own the float shop in Portland, Oregon. And uh, do you guys want to introduce yourselves as well? Sure. Where you're yeah. from? I'm Jeremy. I own, whoa, that's loud. Uh, float in San Antonio. And it is called just float. Why not? <laughs> not just float. It's, it's float. It's float. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm Kim Hannon. Um, I write the show notes. If you've heard the podcast, you heard my name, um, but I write the show notes for the Art of the Float. Um, and my husband and I uh, own Sukino Float Center, and we are not open yet, but we're in southern Indiana. And uh, Amy, our amazing co-host of the podcast, wasn't able to make it, so um, I think this is, is pretty fun to have some more some co-hosts up here, if, if you will. And I know these guys like to talk and have some opinions as well, so <laughs> it'll be fun. Um, and, you know, something that, I don't know if it's a difficulty I've been having with the podcast, but I just realized that with just the limited number of hosts, is you have a limited scope of information that we can give to people, and we just try to expose every nook and cranny of the float industry. I mean, we t you can think of a topic. We'll, we'll talk about it on the show, and we probably have, but there's nothing like kind of crowdsourcing information. And so that's what, every once in a while, we have these roundtables, and we've done, done them at the Float Conference in Portland. And it's really amazing to me what people end up um, sharing and, and how I walk away with more information. And I think everybody ends up walking away with more information or differing opinions than, than they came in with. And so the first thing that we wanted to, wow, uh, when I get really passionate, apparently talking to my chest. Um, so the first thing I want to kind of bring out there to see what your guys' opinions on are, and uh, I know there's quite a spectrum here, is the idea of the float intro and how much information we should give at the beginning of an intro and um, how little information we give at uh, the beginning of an intro. I'd also love to talk about people who are using iPads for video, people who swear by only doing it in person, how much time you're giving. We can even get into like the transitions, you know, how, um, how much time should we be giving into it, uh, all of that stuff. But really, just in the beginning, and we can see where this goes naturally and, and bridge from that, um, and maybe we could even start with YouTube, because I know you guys have some strong opinions about um, you know, how much information to give somebody uh, before they get into the float tank. And then whatever stance you choose, I'll say the opposite and, and kick things off. Or do you want to start? Hi. <laughs> Hi. So I think um, the orientation is really important. Um, I think, as Carol brought up at the very be the beginning of our day today, it's really important mm. to create the space and also to, to give them a, uh, like a road map so to speak, through their experience without telling them what their experience is going to be for them, but to make them comfortable, to make them feel in control of their float, mm. and to make them 
feel comfortable. I just got to repeat that. And so that's different for each person, right? And that's, that's where the, your training comes in and the questions that you have to ask yourself, how you're going to handle that. Um, but there's, there's certain skill that you learn how to pick up on that as you, as you work in this industry. But you always need to know what you want to say, the bottom line, what to communicate for sure. Does anybody have any specifics on how much information to give? Or actually, do we have anybody who just says, you know, here are the, here are the earplugs, have the experience? Does anybody lean that far in the, on the spectrum? Would anybody appear somewhat close to that spectrum? Please. I think to answer that, as far as how much information, you start with the very, very basics. And as they're willing to listen to more information, you can provide it. But sometimes you see that anxiety level, and it comes mm -hmm. down to, here's your earplugs, here's the neck floaties, you know, and it's all written on a handout as well that's laminated over there by the sink. And you need to leave, because as you provide too much information, then you're going to lose them as well, and they're going to chase you out of the room. Nice, yeah. Yeah, that's the problem my wife and I have, is we can give 20-minute introductions, and that sometimes means 15 minutes into their float time, because we're just so, ex so excited to be talking about floating, and they get jazzed up about it, but then we're eating into their float time. Dan? We spend a good 15, 20 minutes doing it. Mm -hmm. um, I can say this, after doing maybe two, 3,000 orientations at this point, I'm bored. Hmm. And so we've actually shifted it up to being more of a conversation than an mm -hmm. orientation. Um, and we found that people tend to tune out when you're just talking at them. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of information you can convey, and if you're just talking at them, the brain shuts down. Mm -hmm. Whereas if it's more engaging, it's more conversational, you're asking questions about why they're there, what they're seeking to accomplish from this, you know, and just approaching it with more of a human connection. A, I mean, it, it makes it more interesting for you as a facilitator, um, but it, it tends to provide more value for them because they feel then like the, even if it's purely conversational, the experience is being crafted towards what it is that they're wanting to get from it versus them trying to fit themselves into what they think the experience is supposed to be based on what they've seen already. Um, so I'm just plugging conversation rather than orientation um, as a concept. I, I love that you, you brought up two things. One is their retention rate of, I mean, their retention of the information, and the other component is your interest level. And I think those are going to correlate pretty directly, too. If you're checked out repeating the same thing over and over oh, again, yeah. and I've done that. no matter how well you worked out the speech, if you're not in, they're not engaged with you in retaining the information either. Right. If you're shut down, they're shut down as well. Right. right. And I've found, I've found myself just, my mouth is moving, words are coming out, but I'm over here thinking about something else. And when I started hitting that point, I realized that's not good. Yeah. So that's when we started shifting it up a little bit. I'm curious, Dan, how do you craft that conversation? Are you asking them specifics about what they're hoping to get out of the float? Or, in, you know, there's some kind of operational stuff that people need to know about where things are, what buttons to push, all of that sort of stuff. So are you saying that you're kind of giving them that info and then just asking a little bit more to help them and uh, kind of personalize that experience? Yeah. I mean, the intake steers the conversation a little bit, right? So... We ask a lot of questions about what it is they're looking to work on on the intake form, and then we use that information to kind of steer the conversation. They might check off they're working with PTSD. We're not going to then have an open conversation about how that manifests for them when they're in the lobby. 
but it helps us steer the dialogue towards talking about maybe some of the neurology around floating mm -hmm. and how cool. that has helped with things like depression and PTSD. Um, so the intake is a, is a big part of that too. But it's just basic human conversational questions like, how do you hear about this? What brings you in? What do you know about floating? You know, it's more questions than, than statements. How many people here, well, how many people here are open, have an open float center? Cool. And then how many people keep your hands up? <laughs> how many people will have an intake form where you ask questions about the floater? Besides just like liability waiver. Cool, nice. That's more people than maybe I, yes. Was that a question? Oh, that was some good pod. Let's note how many people raise their hands there. Nice. I just wanted to add one more thing to um, the orientation. People are, coming, people are coming in with all different levels of anxiety and uh, anxiety of not knowing what's going to happen. Maybe they're claustrophobic. Maybe they're not ready to face themselves or be alone with themselves. And so they come in um, with all these different anxieties and fears. And one of the things that we try to do uh, is empower them with the orientation. Let them know that you are actually in control. Mm -hmm. If you want to get out, you can get out. If you want the light on, you can turn the light on. Uh, it's all about what makes you comfortable, but you have the power to do it. And there's no rules. There's no rules to it. Mm -hmm. Everybody starts in a different place of comfort, and you have to start wherever you start and go. And then, you know, as you do it, then you'll get better and better at it. But you have to make them comfortable first and have, let them feel like they are in charge and that they are in control. So we spend a lot of time trying to empower the individual as they come in so that they can be comfortable and feel that like, like they have some control. We're not just going to lock them in a box in the dark somewhere. Which some people think that's, that's what they're signing up yeah, for. Yeah, you know? that's what they feel. Yeah. Emotionally, that's what they feel. Yeah. yeah. So whether that's what's happening or not, you know. Hopefully nobody's locking anyone in a room. <laughs> raise, raise your hand if you lock somebody in a room. There's one hand back there. <laughs> uh, good afternoon. I'm um, a, my role here is a big advocate of uh, floating, uh, so I don't have a facility, but I am, um, as Kevin dubs me sometimes, float queen. I float frequently at Float STL, and, and I've become a bit of an ambassador, particularly for people who are not present in these circles and in this community. So I'm telling everyone all the time about float, and the orientation is key, and something that you said really triggered what I wanted to share. The empowering of the floater and also just the empathy and sincere interest mm. during that orientation makes a, a huge difference. Having an open heart and having all of the hopes and aspirations that you do as a person providing float to your community, letting that be present in the engagement um, during that orientation is huge. Kevin and his staff are wonderful at listening and really being interested in you. So it, it's not as much about um, all of a, long, a lot of verbiage that helps people to okay. feel at ease. Have a few big rocks, things you want to make sure you cover, but to just create the space for people to make peace with what they're about to do, which can be very scary and groundbreaking. I've had a friend who had a recent trauma who trusted me and then trusted the float experience, um, and I handed her off. She'd fallen and gotten a concussion in a water-based environment. This was the first time she was going back into anything like a tub. But you 
all made her feel at ease. So just trust how much your disposition, your welcoming matters and makes a difference. Um, and then just one logistical piece, I really would say encourage people to use the neck floaty rather than um, as an option because a few friends have said, well, they said you could use it, but I didn't want to because they felt like that would mean they were weak necked. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so, no weak right? so right. no judgment around the neck floaty. Maybe even really encourage them to because cool. a lot of people, as, as is stated, a lot of people carry tension here. So let them know it's okay. It doesn't make you weak necked. <laughs> right, you know, so maybe and that's the only specific big rock I'd say to make sure people use that. But thank you for what you all are doing. It, it helps. It matters. Thanks so much for sharing. And I was really hoping we'd get somebody who didn't own a float center uh, because I know we have a lot of those here at the conference. I really appreciate your perspective on that. Um, cool. I, I also want to, and we'll hear from you guys, but I want to hear what STL is doing so well with getting people in and causing that comfort. I'd love to hear that, too. Oh, uh... Maybe I can comment on that. Um, Let's get an expert. Come well, on. just uh, what what came up when I think when Dan was talking, um, I'm thinking about which story I want to tell. Maybe the one that won't make me cry. Um, you know, the one thing I think similarly that we noticed as you as you facilitate float after float after float after float after float after float after float, after float um, and you're also floating and floating and floating and floating yourself. The, you know, after my first float with um, Chris, I can never remember how to say his last name. Is it Meister? Messer. Messer. Oh. Chris Messer. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that was, it was the most amazing experience. It blew me away. And um, beyond words. That was, oh, I don't know, six years ago, it seems like. A long time ago. Many, many floats ago. And so every time I float, even though every float's different and every float's new, I'm one more float away from my first float. You know, from that first float when I showed up and I had no clue what I was getting into. And, and so I know for myself, there can be at times um, a more casual relationship to the experience mm. because it's, um, because we are, you know, very chillitude in our environment and you know, it's kind of like we're floating and, you know, it's around and cool, you want to mm. float. And it's really easy to forget that um, what each individual is coming in with. You know, have, have they been waiting six months to have enough money to do this one float? Or have they just had an experience in their life that they're really hoping uh, here we go, uh, <laughs> is going to help them solve something? They're putting a lot of pressure on this one experience. Mm. Where me, it's like, well, it's Tuesday. <laughs> I'll probably get one in tomorrow. It's I'm cool. In my you know, it's, mm -hmm. There's not a lot of pressure on it. And so sometimes the combination of those two things, the, the repetition of the orientation along with the, the frequency of the accessibility can move us away from an understanding of how powerful the anticipation of that first float can be for the individual and, and so the phrasing that um, we try to remember is that, you know, each individual float has the potential to be the most powerful life-changing experience of that person's life. And hmm. even uh, for Russ, like when we talked about this on Friday, you know, Russ comes in, I don't know, maybe four or six weeks, probably less, 
these days he's been busy opening his own float center. Um, and I see Ross, and if you know Ross, you know, you know enough of Ross. He's, he's out there and he lets you know who Ross is, and it's great. But I, I also don't want to get to the place to assume that I know Ross in a way that when he's walking in the door, I know what's going on with Russ. I don't know anything about Russ. I don't know what happened to him the night before he's coming in for his float. So even with our regular floaters, it's like, oh, hey, Brian, you know, in, in treating him in a casual way when maybe today's not his best day. Maybe he's not gregarious Brian mm -hmm. or gregarious Russ. Maybe something horrible just happened. So it, it is coming back to that conversation and engaging with that other person on a human-to-human -human level as if, almost as if you've never met them. And, um, and that keeps it very real and keeps it very fresh because, um, you know, the, I think the last thing that any of us want to do is be in the place where we're, we're moving bodies through devices mm -hmm. and we're hosing down showers. I mean, that doesn't sound fun. Mm -hmm. But if you, if you continue to hold that that concept that you are you're crafting and preparing the sacred space for this potentially you know life-changing experience and that's what you're doing in service uh, as an usher and attendant then you're going to be there and engage with that person and, and do your best to keep it fresh mm -hmm. because um, I think if you can hold it in that concept that's not something any of us would want to be careless about right so I think that's what we do, and that's what we talk about. And, and we're all human, so I think it happens. But it's about keeping that conversation fresh in each other's mind so as we go about our day, it, it doesn't become uh, kind of repetitious and robotic. Right. Yeah. I, I like you, you bridged to something I like, which is getting, um, I guess, how to get your staff motivated with these concepts as well. Is you're not just cleaning the rooms, right? Yeah. yeah. You're creating a space for them. Please, Lee. Actually, um, hi. This is this will be better. I'm lucky because I have to walk people out to the place where they float. It's not when they come to our place. The tank is in a different building, and uh, so I have to change places with them, and where I stand at the tank and where they are, which is very nice because I can say, hey. I'm going to be here, and you're going to be there, and it's because it's better for us to be this way. Is that okay with you? So we start from there. But the other thing is, I noticed I, I love everybody who comes in. I can't help it. So uh, you know, there, this person that she comes along, the way they, you know, what are their habits? Or you know, one of them does this, and one of them has a, a tick or whatever it is. To me, that's all so much fun to look at. And then the other thing that um, makes it simpler is I have people open the door. I say, the first thing I want you to do is open the door just to feel the weight of it. And our door is very light. So they just, you know, one finger will open it. Mm. And so they're doing that, and they usually turn around and they'll say, well, it wasn't heavy, it was very light. And one woman came in and said, the only thing I was scared of is I'd be locked in there. And now I'm okay, because I know I can mm -hmm. So it's what you were saying. You don't know what, you know, what's the trigger point? And, it, you know, you're, we're here to respect and love these people who come. And you want to make them as happy as they are going to be. And you want, uh, we let them know 
that you're going to float in the way that's comfortable for you. Head could be wherever you want it to be. You can float as, you know, you can get out and in. You can get out and in the whole time. You know, you can do what makes you comfortable. And we found that word comfortable is extremely useful. You mean, I can come to this place where I'm in terror and I'm going to be comfortable. Is that reasonable? And for some people, it's not until they get in there and they find that they are in the most comfortable place they've ever been, or they hate it and they have to make it comfortable. And not everybody loves their first float. They just don't, you know? And some people have a lot of fear to go through, a lot of anxiety and a lot of fear. And if we are there and make it okay for them to go through any one of those things, that's what, the best we can do. I always like to have the last word. <laughs> the end of the round table after this. <laughs> for, for me, there's three things uh, for orientation. One is safety, one is housekeeping, and the other is uh, fears or comfort. And for safety, we think it's very important that people, at least for those who think the person might be in the dark sometime, to make sure that they, when they first get in, go through the practice of orienting themselves so that they know how to find the door when they are going to want to get out. They may freak and want to get out fast, and I want them to know where the door is relative to the environment. So for me, that is absolutely critical. Another thing is housekeeping. I, by the way, I think the whole orientation should be canned, memorized, and then given to the person, and because I don't want to leave anything up for chance. And uh, I just spaced out. <laughs> oh, uh, that's it. That, that's it. Uh, so the person who is going to be doing the housekeeping is the one that should be doing the orientation. Has to be. If, if you give the orientation and you leave, uh, our staff would have it memorized, and the, instead of always being present, they'd split because it was rote. You know, they'd just be saying it, and they'd be off somewhere. Guess where the where the floater was? They'd be off somewhere. So the orient the housekeeping would not get handled. So I think the person giving the orientation has to handle the housekeeping for that reason, and. And so it's a great spiritual practice for a person to learn to be present, which to me is a lot about what interacting with floaters is all about anyway. So we've handled housekeeping, we've handled safety, and now the last issue is not claustrophobia. From my point of view, lots of people have claustrophobia, but that's this number of people, and there's another fear, this big, this big. 
And of course, the, maybe the biggest fear is that they have is that they think it's not okay to be afraid. So as soon as we let people know at the beginning of the orientation, many people have fears before, the before they use the tank first time. Suddenly, they, that vanishes. Now, they are in charge. And we think that people should not be told what to do or how to do it. And we don't care whether people have a good float. We want them to have the float that is best for them. And if that means that they have to have one that is uh, bad, that, that where they don't have quotation marks, a good experience, and leave and don't come back, that's okay with us, if it was valuable for them. And so we don't want to let them know that maybe they have expectations and they should uh, bring them back into realistic things or anything. We, we want them to discover that on their own, if it's appropriate for them. So if they get bored or anything. But the most important thing is what Carol and Lee has already said. And the biggest fear, I think, we think, is that people will, which is why most, 90% of the population will never, ever float, is they're going to experience something that is, they're going to have to confront that is too difficult for them to face. They do not want to face it. And the difference between those who are scared of that and will float and those most of the population who are scared of that and won't float is that we think that there's something on the other side of that that is so fucking important that we will go through that fear and we will learn how it's like we learn all the time to deal with our fears it's like we have an upset and we go watch a movie or we go put something in our mouth or we walk away and change spaces. It's like we've learned to be comfortable, so we just have to give the absolute minimum amount of space so that people know how to use this tool in a way so that they can confront their fears and grow and become more. Can I jump in real quick? Yeah. So those those last two talks kind of reminded me of a situation that happened recently that kind of ties into that. I had a, a floater come in, and she was actually brought in by two regulars. She was a friend of theirs, and um, she had a very like boisterous personality, kind of like a loud talker, which kind of like me. And I caught myself making a judgment about you know, why she was there and what she was thinking about it and, and all these things. I was having a day, so I was had a little bit of an attitude. And I, you know, the other floaters, her friends went, and we just set them up because they had been there before. And then I took her in, did the whole intro and everything. And because of my preconception about who she was and based on her personality, I, I did a regular intro, but I, I wasn't maybe picking up on some of the cues that I would normally be looking for because I'm always kind of looking... One, to see if they're paying attention, like, okay, this is the light switch. No, that's the light switch. That's not the call button. And 
<laughs> but also looking to see if like if I'm seeing anxiousness, anxiousness or tightness, you know, so that I can address that. And like I'll actually ask them like I see you, you look a little bit tense. Like if I'm closing the lid on the pod and I see them tighten up, I'm like, okay, does that make you nervous? Okay, let's let's address that. And then I'll do those things individually. But I maybe wasn't paying attention to that. And so I go and start the floats and I'm um, dealing with what I call boss stuff. And then she gets out a little bit early and I caught myself in my head. I was frustrated because I thought she was, I was making a judgment call that she was one of these people that was like above it. You know, like, you know how you get frustrated when people are like, oh, this, they're dismissing your, the thing that you love so much. So I caught myself doing that. And, um, and she was like, she was like, I got bored, you know, and you know how that kind of, Oh, maybe it's just me. That drives me crazy. Okay. Y'all, y'all, okay. All right, y'all with me. And so I was having one of those moments where that was, that was actually bothering me. And so, you know, I was like, it's cool, you know, have some tea, just chill in the lounge. Your friends will be out in a little bit. And then um, she's like, it's not your fault. I'm like, no, I was like, no. I was like, you know, I'm not worried about it for me. Like, I'm just worried that you missed out on something. So anyways, fast forward. Um, her and her friends are checking out, and she's like, hey, can I talk to you? And I'm like, you know, I still had an attitude. I was having a bad day. And so we go, she, she takes me back to the lounge where we could talk uh, personally, and she was like, I have PTSD from some things that happened when I was younger. And like immediately, it just like hit me. I felt awful. I was like, I had this idea that you were like this thing or this person or whatnot, and then I realized that she was, and she was like, that 30 minutes that I stayed in was massive for me. And she was like, I, I didn't think I'd be able to stay in that long. And that was huge. And, and I'm really proud of myself. And I was like, that's awesome. I'm glad you got something out of it. But like inside, I was just like dying because I, I judged her beforehand. And then afterwards, I put that on her. So that's, that's part of the introduction as well, that you, you have to always be open even when you're having a day. <laughs> Hi. Um, my wife and I own a float center in um, Arkansas. And uh, I just wanted to talk, as far as introductory, when we have clients, we have, obviously, just like everyone, we have several different clients. Um, I am also a massage therapist. So whenever I, we do our orientation, I try to incorporate different things, but you know, obviously the safety, the operational, that's something that the client needs to know because you don't want someone messing up your tanks because you didn't tell them. So they need to be informed. But I try to make it in a way where I am, where they understand. Um, and even throwing a little comedy in there. And then even within, I've had several, float, many, many floats. But I don't try to like push it there, but I just try to kind of tell them like experiences different clients and tell them that you know yours is going to be different than theirs. So, but I want you to just enjoy it, relax, kind of make it as comfortable for them as possible and let them feel relaxed. Um, and I think it really helps them to just tell them, you know, I've told them some of my experience. As a child, I had a pretty traumatic thing and I know not everyone is claustrophobic, but I was pretty fearful for the first time floating. And even now, after so many floats, there are times going in there, you know, I do. But I try to just kind of tell them, and they, people feel comfortable when they kind of hear you've had some kind of experience. I mean, that's not that, 
that's what they're going to experience. But it kind of eases their mind and, you know, let them get into the float. And, and then they get into the float and they experience it. And as far as, you know, when we have clients some, sometimes that come out early and, you know, we just don't judge them. It's like, hey, sometimes you just, some people only need 30 minutes, you know. Like for me, I've got, after 45 minutes, I'm ready to get out. And I wanted to float for two hours. So we just let them kind of be. But, um, but there is something where you do have to, you do have to have some kind of operational, tell them they need to know the basic stuff. You can't skip through that because it's a, it costs mon- cost you money if you don't inform them. Right. But make it fun and, you know, don't judge and just let them just, you know, make whatever you can. And they're different. Every client's different. So someone you can see, you just kind of just, just don't let it be like kind of a robotic type thing. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, people will make it. I like that you brought up humor. I think like stand-up humor comedians, is very important. It really does help. Ease. Right. I mean, I, like I'd say ninety percent. You throw in a little humor in there, and there doesn't even have to just, be good yeah, humor. Yeah. It's just just try <laughs> anything. Stand-up comedians, it's the hardest to, to get laughs. I mean, they they refine this for months and years to get a joke, and maybe half the people laugh, maybe they don't. Uh, captive audiences like this is a lot easier to get a laugh out of somebody. Nobody expects anything out of me, and so if I do a monkey dance, it's easy to get a laugh. But um, somebody trapped in your float room with nowhere to go is the easiest laugh to get. So literally anything you say, you can, you can get a laugh out of them. But it's not just about making your ego feel good about getting a laugh. It's about getting their attention back because you're going through the earplugs, the uh, vitamin A and D ointment. You're talking about the vinegar water that's going to go in the ear and all these, these dry things. Um, oh, and they're just staring at this spaceship with water in it. And so just to get their attention back with, um, I feel like humor is a great way to do that as you're taking them through the, the intro. Thanks for bringing that up. So Dylan, that, that makes me wonder, thinking about like holding people's attention, does anybody try to start your orientation before they get there? So maybe sending an email that mm. has a, like a video or, or kind of a walkthrough. No? Um, we don't do that, but we do break the orientation into two separate chapters. So we do kind of the lobby orientation mm-hmm. that talks about kind of the academic side of floating, why we float, why to practice, what it's doing, and then run them through the three basic tips of keep it out of your eyes, try putting your arms up, um, don't worry about time. And then we save everything that all the kind of the mechanical details of here's, ear, here's earplugs, here's Vaseline, here's the door. We save all that for a room tour. So by splitting it into two separate chapters, it kind of provides this break in the middle. We walk them through the center, lets them look around at everything else, and then you get into the details. We found that that helps keep people's focus um, a bit more manageable. We we do something similar as well. There's the front lobby, and for us, it's upstairs. We have a float tank downstairs, but I still refer to it as upstairs. So there's the lobby intro, and then you go upstairs, and that's where you get the tour of the room, so you can actually see every item as we're going through it. And we go through it in chronological order as well. And um, like I don't talk about the conditioner the first time around, because you don't use conditioner before getting into the float. And some people don't use shampoo either. That's fine too. But then on the, on the second lap, then you get out, you're definitely going to want to rinse off. And again, you've got body wash, shampoo, and also conditioner. We ask that you don't um, you know, use that beforehand, what have you. So it's just all in chronological order. So they hopefully one step leads to the next step as they're going through it in their mind. I think another reason that I bring that up is a lot of folks who have anxiety um, are just the act of getting to our door is a big, big deal. Um, and I have a friend who is now a yoga teacher, but her, she shared this story with me about um, when she first started practicing yoga, it took her months to get the courage to walk through the door. 
And she started by looking on Google Maps just to plan out her route of how she could get to the place. Where would she park? And if you think about folks who are dealing with this, uh, with anxiety issues, anything that we can provide to them um, to help them to walk through the door, you know, and, and in some cases it could be sending a video that's just saying, hey, I just want to welcome you to this space and give a little video tour um, before they even get there just to say this is what to expect when you come in so that when they do walk in the door, it's not the first time they're processing everything. You know, there's still going to be a lot to take in, um, but having that kind of broken up into kind of what Dan was saying, breaking it up um, will really, really help them. But it's also, at that point, something that feels a lot more familiar to them. So it's not so scary as they're walking in. That's awesome. Like, anxiety is so much of what we deal with. There are people who, I mean, they, they won't leave their house to come to a float center to find something that can heal themselves. But if they're empowered by just going to the website or on the email, that's, that's great. I like that a lot. I have, a, I have a question for Glenn and more of the folks who are um, very passionate about not coloring any pre-expectations. Mm -hmm. Do you keep that same um, attitude post-float? If somebody comes out and wants to have a bunch of hard opinions one way or other on the experience, do you engage there or do you try to stay at that same whatever it was it was? I talk about whatever they want to talk about. <laughs> we generally do not uh, share our stuff or that kind of thing. We, we leave it up to them uh, to do whatever they want. What we will do is uh, if, if it's like they are still, many of the people are still floating. There's, they, so what we want to do is to facilitate that, not stop that. Mm -hmm. So what we do is, when, uh, when there's, uh, if there's a pause, we will just wait, just not do anything, not express anything. If it goes on very long, we may say, what else? But we actually prefer that to uh, is there anything else? Because more often, some, if somebody asks, is there anything else, they're likely to say no. But if we say what else, then they start looking around for if there is. Uh, but if you want to, uh, if for some reason you think you can't be much longer, you can ask the other and that'll be likely to <laughs> short circuit them. Hey, I'm Greg from Weightless Float Center uh, in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, one thing that I always like to tell people, kind of in regards to what you were saying, Kim, is that I tell people, like, roughly, start your float before your float, just kind of as Glenn said, um, your float lasts after your float. You're floating afterwards, and you're kind of floating beforehand. And I think it was Dustin from the Float Collective who said it's silly to think that we are the people who are like, you know, their float is not just in the center, it's the experience before and afterwards, and just giving people a little bit of like, hey, here's a cool meditation from a local meditation teacher, just like a five-minute guided meditation, or like listen to this relaxing music or your own relaxing music on your way here. And those types of things are like, try not to say like, yeah, you fucking know, when you're driving, like just remember you're floating today, you know? So like, I think that can kind of help people a little bit. Um, but one thing I recommend, especially if you, or you may be familiar with it, is if you have multiple float centers in a town, sometimes 
people don't tell people the right things. And then people are like, I didn't know that. And you're right. like, oh, really? And they're like, I floated four times, and no one ever told me that putting my arms up might be more comfortable mm. than laying down by my side. And I find that that's where you're like, oh, there are some things, like you were saying, there's some big rocks to get over. But I also think with uh, what Glenn said, again, is that like it should be kind of packaged and canned. And at the end of your sort of introduction, there shouldn't be like a anything else. Like there should it should sort of all be covered. And I like to like double back on it twice, like say it almost mm. twice the first time. And it's always like you have the list there anyways, but you say it once, you hear it, you say it again, you recap it, and then you're like, and if you have a question, it's right there. Um, are you asking me a question, or are you just raising your hand for next? Okay, cool, gotcha. Um, yeah, so I guess that was it. Uh, we have a few people in the back before Shoshana. There's two people who've had their arms up. All good. <laughs> and we'll pass down. <laughs> um, I'll, and I'll make it brief. What, what I've kind of seen is I've had a lot of experience with customers over the years in different situations, but the greatest thing about this industry and that I think is so important is not to set the expectations of the float experience itself. If you'll find one thing that people love is to have their own customized, personalized, and things tailored to themselves, and if you set the expectation of what's going to happen, they tend to try and lean themselves to that expectation and fulfill that expectation as opposed to having their own experience. And then what happens is they find themselves concentrating on trying to do what you've told them to do as opposed to letting it come to them naturally. And even if they have um, a bad experience in the tank, don't, don't be afraid to empathize with that situation. So if they come out, you know, you don't want to be afraid to talk to somebody that has a bad experience. You want to understand why that's happened or say, okay, because it's kind of like you said, if it's a bad experience, it's what they needed. Right. So, right. So, and, and don't don't be afraid to to discuss that, or if they're if they're wanting to do that, because it's not a reflection on what you've done. If you've provided everything that you're to provide, that was what their experience called for. And it doesn't mean that's going to happen every time. And they may be like, okay, well now I need to give this another chance. But if you shy away from it, or if you want to try and push them away because you think, okay, well, this is bad for them, then you know they may not get the full benefit from coming back again. Can can I disagree a little bit with? And and let's run the mic up the back here. There are two people who've had their hands up for a while. But so if I tell somebody about a massage, like I don't keep that a secret what a massage is. That somebody might just have as much fear about touch or that being in, in alone in, in a room with somebody. Like there's stuff that could come up with massage too if you've never heard of it. And there are people who don't like it. But why not say what's possible in a float tank? Why not talk about how people have decided to have different careers because of their time spent in a float tank? And talk about that, you know, it's not every single float that's like that. But I mean, we, I think, I, and maybe I'm wrong here, but I think we're pretty OK talking about some of the physical things, like maybe your spine's going to elongate a little bit while you're in there, or um, this potential magnesium absorption in the float tank, things like that, or physiological things like dopamine or cortisol. But why not? I mean, while there might be a different range of expectation with the spiritual or mental sense, why not go there a little bit before their first float experience? I'm, I'm curious. Are you having that internal conversation because you're worried about yourself? Are you worried about your own value and what you're giving? I'm always worried about my own value, yes, <laughs> always. <laughs> Yeah. That other person, if they have a bad back or they have a this or they're going through a life change, mm -hmm. they're getting to know themselves. They're putting themselves into a position where they can have an internal dialogue, right? So if you affect that pro uh, process, that, that's about you. Because you're okay. that. So 
that's that's the different the different the thing that you have to kind of figure out. Do I need to talk about myself right now? So if you do that, that's not actually you're not offering something of value potentially to that person. What I think is potentially potentially possible is that just like a massage, if I tell you what's going to happen to your muscles, that's not going to impact it. And so what? Um, well. I mean, we can, we can have different opinions, by, by all means. And in my opinion, if I tell you that this massage on your calf, what's that? Not going to work for me. OK. Uh, OK, fair enough. But I can understand how there's a physiological aspect of what's going to happen, of course, because I mean, that's a physical property that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You just keep shouting. Yeah, that's we'll fix it in post. Okay, yeah. <laughs> 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 right. That's, uh, that's not setting a, uh, Thank you. a You know, that's that's something that's going to happen no matter what. That's that's not something like a mental experience is going to vary from person to person to person. And there are certain things, like push the button, this is going to happen for everybody. So those are the things that you sure. know, can definitely be addressed. Yeah, and, and I'm not trying to paint a, a black and white picture here necessarily, but I, think, I do think it's an interesting concept, especially as we learn more about how the brain reacts in the float tank. At the, I think it was last year's float conference. Maybe it was two years ago we got to see a live uh, EEG reading of what's going on in somebody's brain uh, while in the float tank. And that to me, is a little bit closer to what's happening spiritually, at least mentally, in the float tank. And so that's something that's measurable and does happen. And can you be conditioned to not experience that? Or would knowing the potential of that possibility experience in a float tank, would, would that take away from it? I, I was told by Joe Rogan I was going to be talking to alien Jesus with symbols around me, and it was just going to be this wild, effed-up adventure. And I left float on disappointed after my first float. So. So, yeah, that's, that, that is a good point, because it was too much. And yeah, and that is, that is the thing. But, so, oh. Go ahead, sorry. Please. We got two people with mics right now. Oh, so um, I actually uh, was holding to say exactly that thing. Assuming that people don't have expectations before they come in is already starting kind of behind the court. Um, Joe Rogan tells people they're going to have an acid trip. Right. Uh, I ran a float center for 11 years. I would say that our orientation was the single most refined document that I've ever built in my entire life. When I didn't know anything, I didn't say anything. And then as I built up more understanding, I began saying more until people were overloaded. Mm -hmm. And then pretty soon, I had to begin pairing it back to only what was absolutely critical. I am actually a firm believer in setting expectation. I think that... um, and, and, but that expe- expectation, should be said, is nothing, right? The float tank is, is the space of nothingness. Because in my experience, if somebody told me that was the best movie I've ever seen in my life, I'd go see a perfectly good movie and I'm disappointed. If they said that movie sucked, 
I go and I see a crappy movie, and I'm like, hey, it's not so bad. But why and, would you go to the movie in the first place? Whatever reason. Well, no, I think that's a real argument to make, is we're, we're having this discussion of no programming beforehand, but then there's, you can't talk about it. There's lots of reasons. I don't, I don't know why that particular one would play out. <laughs> but so when it came to floating, right, what I realized is very, very quickly, my job more than anything else was expectation management. Hmm. I remember I was sitting with a consultant one time. Uh, he was talking to me about words and the words that we use and how it affects our perception of our experience. And this uh, client comes out. He's like, oh, my God, that was so weird. And I, he looked at him and looks at me and goes, would you say weird or different? And the guy goes, oh, no, that was totally different. And I watched his perception of the direct experience. And mind you, this is post-float. I watched his perception of the direct experience completely change depending on the word that he used mm -hmm. to describe, describe the experience. Mm -hmm. And it was that that kind of informed me that, you know what, people are coming in with expectations. People have gone to other flotation centers, mm -hmm. and people have said this thing or that thing. And so what I realized is that if I could simply tell people, um, set that expectation that nothing happens. But if anything does happen, it's going to be your mind. Your mind is going to start going, because that's one thing that we see consistently with everybody that floats. They get in there, and their mind starts racing, especially in their first mm -hmm. float. And what that does is it sets the expectation that First of all, if I'm coming in from Joe Rogan, who says I'm going to have an acid trip, um, I can actually get a hold. I could kind of uh, stand in front of that and, and just take that away. You know what? I know Joe Rogan says acid happens. Nothing happens. Conversely, on the other side of the spectrum, because flotation is zero point. You're, you're moving to zero space. Um, and on the other side, if somebody's really crazy scared, you know, you say nothing happens. And then theirs is kind of uh, facilitating a, a little bit. But... Um, Another thing that I also want to touch on that, that Glenn said I wholeheartedly agree with, uh, the, the orientation can be absolutely scripted, absolutely canned, because what I found is that if I had a script to go back to over and over again, there was a lot of freedom in my ability to connect to their direct experience because the, um, the things that had to be mentioned were already taken care of. Mm -hmm. I'm just curious how many of you guys have video float orientations and how many of you guys want to have them or are working on them. Hmm. So judging by this conversation that might not be possible. <laughs> um, we have pretty much uh, our canned orientation typed out. We send it to them and we ask them to read over it when they come in, whether they read it before or not, and I can tell a difference when I'm talking to them. You know, it all clicks in their head. They're like, oh, I remember reading this. Mm. To, to have it presented to them twice, it seems like, makes a really big difference. And then during our personal speech, you know, we personalize it, and I always ask them to please leave their expectations in the hallway before they go in there, and to do whatever they want to, to own their float, that it's their experience and not mine. Hey, Kevin. Um, so, um, I've been an operator for about like five months now, but I use a lot of the same techniques as um, my mindfulness practice. So, I'm a mindfulness teacher, um, that's sort of my training. Um, and I, I, you know, John Kabat Zinn talks a lot about, you know, when you uh, talk, you know, when, you, when you're a facilitator, when you're a meditation facilitator. Um, 
you you really want to make sure that uh, your role really is just to create that space for them to experience whatever they need to experience, and not really have uh, and not really judge the experience per se, but just be present with whatever arises. And I try to treat my uh, when I when I give my spiel or my you know my my uh, my opening discussion to make sure that I mention uh, whatever happens happens and. Yes, you can you know see you know space aliens or trip out or not, um, and I guess it's not really my role as the as the operator to uh, to sort of picture their experience for them. Um, although I'm sure they probably watch a lot of different documentaries and videos and trip reports of people coming out of the tank, um, and I can address each of those if they have questions. But I think as an operator. Uh, we are somewhat as a meditation teacher because you know what happens in the tank in my perspective is a a deep mindfulness experience um, when you are left alone in your own thoughts because um, when you're in this when you're sitting in a, in a cushion in a meditation cushion with your eyes closed it's no different than laying in the water in the tank um, because what happens is the subconscious arises and it's really about how you how you really treat what comes up. Um, also, I, I, I do have a question. I was wondering uh, what you guys are, what, what your take is on having a maybe a workshop for introduction for floating. Um, I don't know if any other centers are doing anything like a like a once a month workshop where you're like basically getting a bunch of people together and addressing any concerns or questions for newbies or people who floated, and really just getting and building that kind of safe space to to talk about that. Um, and I think that might be a little bit more comfortable uh, to do before a float. Um, I don't know if that's, if that's something anyone has done or, or thought about. What, to what scale do you mean that? Do you mean within the business with the other employees or all uh, the float well, centers in Portland getting together? Yeah, like a float 101 where like, you know, maybe even have like, um, you know, once a month or something at your facility, you would the have customers. Uh, customers. Yeah, okay, yeah. Cool. So, so future customer, potential customers nice. or existing customers that float maybe once and they just still want to get more info. And exactly, yeah, yeah really like cool. more of an open house. So I think that could be very beneficial for, for a lot of people, especially with high anxiety and, and really just feeling comfortable as well. If you, if you host the first one, we'll have you on the show and let us know how it goes. That's a great idea. Yeah. Oh, you have almost like an open house? Oh, shoot. Uh, wait, wait till you have a microphone just so this makes it to everybody. Yeah, we do that in Lawrence, Kansas. I'm Julie DeFloater from the Heartland. Uh, we offer Float 101. Um, we open it up and let them come look at the tanks. That's a big thing, you know, of getting over that fear. And to, as far as going back to the intro, um, on the intake, you just need to meet them where they are. It's that easy. Meet them where they are. And because we have been gifted this amazing, amazing gift of potential self-healing, right? Because that's what the tank does for us. And in that self-healing, you just got to get out of the way and let it happen for them, mm -hmm. right? And so, and so, yes, there's always expectation of, am I going to freak out, right? And I love these people that say, oh, I can't spend an hour by myself. Mm -hmm. Well, then why would you ask me to, right? If you can't spend an hour by yourself, then 
then I really don't want to hang out with you. I mean, I'm not, you know, that's just a, a passing thing. Of, but I love new people. I love um, the virgin floaters, right? And it's amazing. But one thing we also do is we'll advertise it on social media, but then we also will put balloons up. And we have a really busy street, and so people see that. And, you know, on a Sunday afternoon, they can just pop in and come take a look at it while they're walking to the park. So it's, it's helped a lot with numbers. The uh, post-float thing, because yeah. some people do want to talk a lot, and other people mm. just want to be completely silent. Mm -hmm. And uh, I can't it was somebody here last year that gave me some really good advice, was when they come out, if they are silent, and it can be kind of awkward in those moments, uh, it was just, welcome back. Mm -hmm. like, that, like, you just say, welcome back, and that's it. Mm -hmm. And I was like... I'm gonna. I've used it ever since, mm -hmm. and it works wonders because you're just like, yeah, I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> one, one thing I like, and I, I don't think this was an original thought. It was probably a guest on the show or something. I feel like most of what I know now, I have no idea where I got it from. It's all amalgamation of other people's ideas. But um, we when we talk about this at employee meetings of not saying. Um, how are you, or excuse me, not how was your float, because that then takes you back to that float tank, the experience, how did the door work, how was all of that. Um, instead, something more in the moment, um, like uh, how are you feeling, Ch getting them in their body, checking in with themselves instead. So real quick, sorry, I've been yeah. trying to get this out. Um, two things. We, we've done, actually done a few open houses, and they are great. It's kind of like ask everything you were scared to ask about oh. floating. We have all the tanks open, no floats going on. It's been fantastic mm -hmm. to educate the local community and get people coming back, and, and it drives numbers way up. Mm. Uh, but on the, on the intake, I have a tactical question. Maybe this will be a real easy one to get through. It seems like everything we're talking about is very personalized for where that floater is or where that potential floater is, mm -hmm. trying to read them, trying to make sure we give them what they need, et cetera. How's the feeling on doing multiple entries at the same time? Because we actually do that quite often. If we have three people starting a float, mm -hmm. we will often do the, in, uh, the orientation. Uh, sometimes in one of our rooms, we have one of our rooms which is quite large so it can accommodate you know, three or four people easily. We'll run through that whole thing, but that also makes it to where it needs to be toned down to the mechanics of the tank, getting in, getting out. We, we can't get into personal issues, right, when you have three strangers mm -hmm. next to each other learning how to float. So I was just kind of curious, is, is that normal? Do most people do, do most centers do one-on-ones or multiples, et cetera? We've done that. So we have two tanks, but sometimes we'll have four people that want to do floats and they're back-to-back-to-backs, and the other two are going to come like two hours later, but they're in a group. So we will kind of just tell them all, kind of come in and show, do the orientation, kind of scripted and not as personalized, so that they all have the understanding, so that when we come back, then they can all kind of get into the tank, and we can kind of then personalize certain things. And I like to tell them if they have any questions to just hit me up at the desk. <laughs> just real quick, uh, in regards to the um, post-float etiquette, when people come out and they, they want to talk, uh, we talk about whatever they want to talk. But uh, I try to leave my personal experiences out of it. And if it starts getting that way, because I don't, I don't want to color it, but if it starts to get that way, usually what I will do is have them go to the lounge. And in our lounge, we have these journals where people write and color and draw about their experiences. 
And I have them go in there and say, hey, have some tea, and why don't you go through these journals? Because a lot of times they'll go, is this normal? Um, is there something wrong with me that I had these feelings or I had these thoughts? And I'm just like, go check this out. Go check out what other floaters think about yeah. it, what their experiences are. Yeah. And then they, they come in and they see you just like, oh, this is, you know, they, they see that message that kind of runs through everything and it kind of runs the gamut. Yeah. And also, too, if I'm ever feeling a little disconnected, I'll go sit down in there and I'll just start thumbing through it and kind of mm -hmm. get my pulse on, right. you know, uh, back, you know, to what is really going on with and what's happening to the people that come into my <sighs> facility. Always a great way to get re-inspired too, if you haven't yeah. been in your business for a bit. Yeah. I call it refilling your tank when nice. you're having one of those days where you're not inspired. <laughs> mm -hmm. You go refill your tank, go read that that book in the lounge, and you'll feel you'll feel inspired again. I was going to say um, I had one thought that maybe kind of brings everything together. It sounds like we're talking about two different things, you, it's almost like you, you're deprogramming and sometimes you're not trying to programming, but also sometimes there is that deprogramming, like what he was talking about is, you know, we do get a lot of Joe Rogan fans and um, if it's somebody that I suspect is a Joe Rogan fan, I'll even ask them because I want to know mm -hmm. what they're coming in with, you know, so it's, yeah, it's definitely good to ask, you know, how much, you know, what do you know about floating? You know, we uh, we have a, a spot on our waiver. So we do an electronic waiver, and there's two questions on there. Uh, one is how you heard about us, so we can use that for our marketing purposes, but also why are you here today? Just to, And then we go back and look at that to get a feel for, and it has a list of different reasons why they might be floating, and they can check off as many that apply, but then we try and take that information. So if they put anxiety on their different things, we kind of try and pepper in information that might... It, it, it'll make us more conscious of what they might be working through so that we can kind of customize that introduction, but also um, give us, you know, an idea of maybe certain things that we may need to go over a little bit further. But I think, you know, the deprogramming is just as important as, you know, giving them the vital information so they can feel comfortable. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, so I, I've been in practice for about four years. We have a, a one float center currently, but um, I come from it from a wellness perspective. And uh, intuitively, I think that's something we need to totally key in is there's an intuitive factor that comes with this. As I, I recognize myself as a healer in some sense. And I think when you individually meet these people, it's important to kind of tap into like, what is it that they're, they're coming in to address? Whether they're open or forefront with it, it's kind of like there was a dialogue that was... That, that brought them there. And they might not be interested in developing that conversation right away, but it's about kind of keeping in, you know, searching those cues and just kind of seeing, like you said, bringing up like what, what cues them when you say certain things, like the lights, the doors, the, you know, and just the post flow, I think is just as important. Like if they're not ready to talk about it, it's kind of like you, you go with that flow. And there is that intuitive factor. I think we totally need to like tap into that's, for me, the best, most helpful, because I might not think I, I, I reached them at a level, but then I'll get that, that Yelp that, or, or that Google review that said, oh, I got them, like, oh, you know, like, nice. there, there was a communication that, that was made, but I didn't need to know about it right then, I guess. So, I don't know, intuition, yeah. It, it, it just seems, it just seems like a curious situation be, because of the, because of the gaining popularity of the activity and the more mainstream nature of you know people coming to the coming to the lab having 
been told about their their friends having told them about it, or myself, you know, listen to hundreds of Joe Rogan episodes about it. Um, like, it's almost like we can't do anything about their expectations based on whatever they've heard anyway. And uh, so, like we've been saying, and I'm, you know, just repeating it again about the practical orientation parts of the beginning, but um, that the post float, it's almost like, I guess I think of it as like, if each person has a domino rally, they, by the time they come out of the float, they've reached their next domino, whether it's a good one or a bad one, that will then lead to the next one, and the next one, and the next one. And they don't know that, um, and we don't know what that's gonna look like when they walk out, so it's, I've, somebody mentioned, you're just like, yeah, tell me about what you're thinking, or how was it, or you know, where are you? you know, those, those types of questions instead of asking, are you okay, or you know, mm -hmm. like, they are at their next domino. Hmm. So We're gonna, to we're gonna call it, because um, I know they're, they've got some time restrictions here. I love that people have more things they wanna share here, and this is the first topic. I thought we were gonna get through so much here, but apparently people have opinions on this topic. I'm glad that. <laughs> I love that. I agree. It, it creates that just bit of contact where they can open up to. I like that. And uh, Glenn gave you the thumbs up, so that means that was a good idea. Nice. <laughs> also, Glenn dropped an F-bomb on my podcast, so that's a bucket list <laughs> item. Thank you. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, it's pretty rare the Art of the Flow that has an explicit episode, so that's cool. Um, and uh, you guys, thank you so much for, for everything that you shared. I don't know that there is a right answer or if that there is a 100% true answer for everybody um, that we're there yet, but I love having these discussions and um, just having these ideas bubble up. And, um, and I hope it was okay that I pushed back on some of those just to see what kind of ideas come back out uh, from that. So you guys, thank you so much again. And thank you guys for co-moderating. Really appreciate it. And thank you guys for having us. Thank you, thank you. You're listening to Art of the Float.